As a broad review, um, Frodo has, on the advice of counsel, taken this ring, which we have just discovered to be a very, very, very powerful weapon in the hands of the wrong folk. Um, Frodo has taken this ring across uh, across his homeland and then out of his homeland to the east. He is now in Rivendell. Um, uh, as he has gone, he has been pursued by servants of the enemy, the Dark Lord Sauron, uh, who would put this weapon to great use if he got his hands on it. The only advantage that they've had so far is that Sauron has sort of overlooked the hobbits, uh, Frodo being one of those. Um, and uh, by overlooking the hobbits, that was the only place that the ring could really hide. If anyone else had had it, uh, Sauron's spies would have probably gone and tracked it down at this point. But it was hidden, it was in the hands of one hobbit, then another hobbit, now a third hobbit, and officially, we have reached Rivendell. Um, it seems that now the Dark Lord is very aware that the ring has been found, it's on the move. After hundreds of years of disappearance, here is the ring once more. Now it's a race, um, but kind of a race of stealth. We are going to catch up with our party here as they are leaving Rivendell. The... Last two chapters, uh, the beginning of part two of this first book here, um, it's really been about deciding what to do next. Up until now, it's just been a mad panic to get it out of the Shire where it can't be particular. It's well hidden, but not well protected. Now, now that the jig is up, it is no longer hidden or protected in the Shire, so it has to go somewhere where even if it's not hidden, at least it can be protected. So, to Rivendell, where uh, there are elves, uh, Lord Elrond, uh, a very wise half-elf is in... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is sort of presiding, and uh, we find that the decision is made to take the ring and try to destroy it. Don't try to use it, don't try to hide it away, don't try to just defend it until all of the enemies are at the gates and pounding it down, because they will do so inevitably. The only real chance that we have, and it's a slim one, is to destroy the ring. So who's going to do that? Well, after much discussion, Frodo volunteers, and uh, when he says, I don't think that uh, going alone is necessarily a good idea, well, out jumps Sam from the hedges saying, oh, no, I'll go with him. That is where we are. That is where we are. I hope you will enjoy today's chapter. Uh, just the one chapter today, as we continue on in our reading at a steady pace uh, of trying to hover as close to 12,000 words per stream as possible. It's not always uh, perfectly aligned. Uh, the chapter before this was 16,000 words. The chapter after this is 11,000 words. This one is about 10,700. It's exactly 10,700. Um, and uh, as such, this is like as close as we can come. It's another kind of shorty. Next week's is going to be perfect and then uh after that then we get into uh like a, two chapters 14,000 words total uh, after that two chapters 13,000 words total after that two chapters 13,000 words total so um we're hovering right around there this is kind of the last of our shorty streams um uh last week's was frankly not so short in spite of the fact that it was just the one chapter but uh we're in good shape we're making very steady progress overall it's not quite as cozy and perfect as um uh, as the hunger games was the hunger games had like a perfect pace uh especially as of you know as i started to read percy jackson i realized the best way to count out my my sort of budget of words for a particular stream 
was word count and not page count because page count will vary dramatically based on the font size used, etc., etc., etc. And uh, so figured that out during Percy Jackson. It was perfectly sort of spaced out during <laughs> uh, during the Hunger Games. Now this one maybe a little less perfect for our purposes here, but then again, he wasn't writing for our purposes here, and that's quite all right. Shotzi, I hope you have a grand time with company. Thank you very much for your recommendations. I shall I shall keep the service dog idea in the back of my mind, uh, although, um, frankly, I don't know that I could, I don't know if I can justify it, um, either by need or by finance, <laughs> so we shall see. Um, Vish, Proteus Spade, Gwendog, Missy, Shotzi, y'all, thank you very much for being here. I love y'all, and I hope that you will enjoy our next chapter. Frodo has just volunteered to take the ring, and so first they must go south, but who shall join him? For surely he should not travel alone. <laughs> Chapter 3. The Ring Goes South Later that day, the hobbits held a meeting of their own in Bilbo's room. Merry and Pippin were indignant when they heard that Sam had crept into the council and had been chosen as Frodo's companion. It's most unfair, said Pippin, and to have thrown him out and clapping him in chains, Elrond goes and rewards him for his cheek. Rewards, said Frodo. I can't imagine a more severe punishment. You're not thinking what you're saying, condemned to go on this hopeless journey? A reward? Yesterday I dreamed my task was done and I could rest here a good long while, perhaps perhaps even for good. I don't wonder, said Mary. And I wish you could, but we're envying Sam, not you. If you have to go, then it would be a punishment for any of us to be left behind, even in Rivendell. We've come a long way with you, and we've been through some stiff times. We want to go on. That's what I meant, said Pippin. We always ought to stick together, and we will. I shall go unless they chain me up. There should be someone with intelligence in the party. Then you will certainly not be chosen, Peregrine Took, said Gandalf, looking in through the window which was near to the ground. But you are all worrying yourselves unnecessarily. Nothing is decided yet. Nothing decided, cried Pippin. Then what were you all doing? You were shut up for hours. Uh, talking, said Bilbo. There was a good deal of talk, and everyone had an eye-opener. Even old Gandalf. I think Legolas's bit of news about Gollum caught even him on the hop, though he passed it off. You were wrong, said Gandalf. You were inattentive. I have already heard of it from here. If you want to know, the only real eye-openers, as you put it, were you and Frodo, and I was the only one that was not surprised. Yes, well, anyway, said Bilbo, 
Nothing was decided beyond choosing poor Frodo and Sam. Uh, I was afraid all the time that it might come to that if I was let off. But if you ask me, Elrond will send out a fair number when the reports come in. Have they started yet, Gandalf? Yes, said the wizard. Some of the scouts have been sent out already. More will go tomorrow. Elrond is sending elves and they will get in touch with the rangers and maybe with Thranduil's folk in Mirkwood. And Aragorn has gone with Elrond's sons. We shall have to scour the lands all round for many leagues before any move is made. So cheer up, Frodo. You will probably make quite a long stay here. Huh? said Sam gloomily. It will wait just long enough for winter to come. That can't be helped, said Bilbo. It's your fault, partly, Frodo, my lad, insisting on waiting for my birthday. <laughs> a funny... <sighs> Hold for a sound. What the heck is that? Sounds like a helicopter, maybe? It's gotta be a ha helicopter. Moving too slow for a, uh, for a plane. Either that or there's like a column of tanks rolling through. Yeesh, what a day. What a day. I've already got two things going on. I can't take a third. <laughs> um, I'm also going to endeavor to be more gentle with my little edit noise. I'm going to try and do that for the sake of my, uh, my headphones folk. Uh, that can't be helped, said Bilbo. It's your fault, party, Frodo, my lad, insisting on waiting for my birthday. A funny way of honoring it, I can't help thinking. Not the day I should have chosen for letting the SBs into a bag end. But there it is. You can't wait now until spring, and you can't go till the reports come back. Hmm. Uh, when winter first begins to bite, and stones crack in frosty night, when pools are black and trees are bare, tis evil in the wild to fare. But I'm afraid that'll be just your luck. I'm afraid it will, said Gandalf. We can't start until we've found out about the riders. I thought they were all destroyed in the flood, said Merry. You cannot destroy ringwraiths like that, said Gandalf. The power of their master is in them, and they stand or fall by him. We hope that they were all unhorsed and unmasked, and so made for a while less dangerous. But we must find out for certain. In the meantime, you should try to forget your troubles, Frodo. I do not know if I can do anything to help you, but I will whisper this in your ears. Someone said that intelligence would be needed in the party. He was right. I think I shall come with you. So great was Frodo's delight at this announcement that Gandalf left the windowsill, where he had been sitting, and took off his hat and bowed. I only said, I think I shall come. Do not count on anything yet. In this matter, Elrond will have much to say, and your friend the Strider, which reminds me, I want to see Elrond. I must be off. How long do you think I shall have here? said Frodo to Bilbo when Gandalf had gone. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't count days in Rivendell, said Bilbo. But quite long, I should think. 
We can have many a good talk. Uh, what about helping me with my book and making a start on the next? Have you thought of an ending? Yes, several, and all of them are dark and unpleasant, said Frodo. Oh, no, that won't do, said Bilbo. Books ought to have good endings. Uh, how would this do? And they all settled down and lived together happily ever after. It will do well if it ever comes to that, said Frodo. Oh, said Sam, and where will they live? That's what I often wonder. For a while the hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journey and of the perils that lay ahead, but such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have any power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with every good day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and every word and song. So the days slipped by, as each morning dawned bright and fair, and each evening followed cool and clear. But autumn was waning fast. Slowly the golden light faded to a pale silver, and the lingering leaves fell from the naked trees. A wind began to blow, chill from the misty mountains to the east. The hunter's moon waxed round in the night sky and put the flight to all lesser stars. But low in the south, one star shone red. Every night, as the moon waned again, it shone brighter and brighter. Frodo could see it from his window, deep in the heavens, burning like a watchful eye that glared above the trees on the brink of the valley. The hobbits had been nearly two months in the house of Elrond, and November had gone by with the last shreds of autumn and December was passing when the scouts began to return. Some had gone north beyond the springs of the Horwell and to the Ettenmoors. Others had gone west, and with the help of Aragorn and the rangers had searched the lands far down the Grey Flood, as far as Tharbad, where the old north road crossed the river by a ruined town. Many had gone east and south, and some of these had crossed the mountains and entered Mirkwood, while others had climbed the pass at the sources of the Gladden River, and had come down into the Wilderland and over the Gladden Fields, so at length had reached the old home of Radagast at Rosgobel. Radagast was not there, and they had returned over the high pass that was called the Redhorn Gate. The sons of Elrond, Eladan and Elrohir, were the last to return. They had made a great journey, passing down the silver load into a strange country, but of their errand they would not speak to any save to Elrond. In no region had the messengers discovered any signs or tidings of the riders or other servants of the enemy. Even from the eagles of the Misty Mountains they had learned no fresh news. Nothing had been seen or heard of Gollum. But the wild wolves were still gathering, and were hunting again far up the great river. Three of the black horses had been found at once, drowned in the flooded ford. On the rocks of the rapids below it, searchers discovered the bodies of five more, and also a long black cloak, slashed and tattered. Of the black riders, no other trace was to be seen, and nowhere was their presence to be felt. It seemed they had vanished from the north. Eight out of the nine are accounted for at least,' said Gandalf. "'It is rash to be too sure, yet I think that we may hope now. "'The ringwraiths are scattered, and have been obliged to return as best as they could to their master in Mordor, "'empty and shapeless. "'If that is so, it will be some time before they can begin the hunt again. 
Of course, the enemy has got other servants, but they will have to journey all the way to the borders of Rivendell before they can pick up our trail. And if we are careful, that will be hard to find. But we must delay no longer. Elrond summoned the hobbits to him. He looked gravely at Frodo. The time has come, he said. If the ring is to set out, it must go soon. But those who would go with it must not count on their errand being aided by force or war. They must pass into the domain of the enemy far from aid. Do you still hold to your word, Frodo, that you will be ring-bearer? I do, said Frodo. I will go with Sam. Then I cannot help you much, not even with counsel, said Elrond. I can foresee very little of your road. And how your task is to be achieved, I do not know. The shadow has crept now to the feet of the mountains, and draws nigh even to the borders of the Grey Flood, and under the shadow all is dark to me. You will meet many foes, some open and some disguised, and you may find friends upon your way when you least look for it. I will send out messages, such as I can contrive, to those whom I know in the wide world. But so perilous are the lands now become that some may well miscarry, or come no quicker than you yourself. And I will choose companions to go with you, as far as they will, or fortune allows. The number must be few, since your hope is in speed and secrecy. Had I a host of elves in armor of the elder days, it would avail little, save to arouse the power of Mordor. The company of the ring shall be nine, and the nine walkers shall set against the nine riders that are evil. With you and your faithful servant, Gandalf will go, for this shall be his great task, and maybe the end of his labors. For the rest they shall represent the other free people of the world, elves, dwarves, and men. Legolas shall be for the elves, and Gimli, son of Gloin, for the dwarves. They are willing to go at least to the passes of the mountain, and maybe beyond. For men you shall have Aragorn, son of Arathorn, for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. Strider, cried Frodo. Yes, he said with a smile. I must ask leave once again to be your companion, Frodo. I would have begged you to come, said Frodo, only I thought that you were going to Minas Tirith with Boromir. I am, said Aragorn, and the sword that was broken shall be reforged ere I set off to war. But your road and our road lie together for many hundreds of miles. Therefore, Boromir will also be in the company, he is a valiant man. There remain two more to be found, said Elrond. These I will consider. Of my household I may find some that it seems good to me to send. But, but that will leave no place for us, cried Pippin in dismay. We don't want to be left behind. We want to go with Frodo. That is because you do not understand and cannot imagine what lies ahead, said Elrond. Neither does Frodo, said Gandalf, unexpectedly supporting Pippin. Nor do any of us clearly see. It is true 
that if these hobbits understood the danger, they would not dare to go. But they would still wish to go, or wish that they dared, and would be shamed and unhappy. I think, Elrond, that in this matter it would be well to trust rather to their friendship than to great wisdom. Even if you chose for us an elf lord such as Glorfindel, he could not storm the Dark Tower, nor open the road to the fire by the power that is in him. You speak gravely, said Elrond, but I am in doubt. The Shire I forebode is not free now from peril, and these two I had thought to send back there as messengers, to do what they could according to the fashion of their country, to warn the people of their danger. In any case, I judge that the younger of these two, Peregrine Took, should remain. My heart is against his going. Well then, Master Elrond, you'll have to lock me up in prison. I'll send me home tied in a sack, said Pippin, for otherwise I shall follow the company. Let it be so, then. You shall go, said Elrond, and he sighed. And now the tale of nine is filled. In seven days the company must depart. The sword of Elendil was forged anew by elven smiths, and on its blade was traced a device of seven stars set between the crescent moon and the rayed sun, and about them was written many runes. For Aragorn, son of Arathorn, was going to war upon the marches of Mordor. Very bright was that sword when it was made whole again. The light of the sun shone redly on it, and the light of the moon shone cold, and its edge was hard and keen. And Aragorn gave it a new name, and called it Anduril, Flame of the West. Aragorn and Gandalf walked together or sat, speaking of their road and the perils that they would meet, and they pondered the stories and figured maps and books of lore that were in the house of Elrond. Sometimes Frodo was with them, but he was content to lean on their guidance, and he spent as much time as he could with Bilbo. In those last days the hobbits sat together in the evening in the Hall of Fire, and there among many tales they heard told in full the lay of Beren and Luthien, and the winning of the great jewel. But in the day, while Merry and Pippin were out and about, Frodo and Sam were to be found with Bilbo, in his own small room. Then Bilbo would read passages from his book, which still seemed very incomplete, or scraps of his verses, or would take notes of Frodo's adventures. On the morning of the last day, Frodo was alone with Bilbo, and the old hobbit pulled out from under his bed a wooden box. He lifted the lid and fumbled inside. "'Here is your sword,' he said. "'But it was broken, you know. I, I, I took it to keep it safe, but I've forgotten to ask the smiths if they could mend it. Uh, no, no time now. So I thought, uh, perhaps, you would care to have this, don't you know?' He took from the box a small sword in an old, shabby leathern scabbard. Then he drew it, and its polished and well-tended blade glittered suddenly, cold and bright. "'This is Sting,' he said, and thrust it with little effort deep into a wooden beam. "'You can take it if you like. I, I, I shan't want it again, I expect.' Frodo accepted it gratefully. "'Also, there is this.' said Bilbo, bringing out a parcel which seemed to be rather heavy for its size. He unwound several folds of old cloth and held up a small shirt of mail. 
It was close woven of many rings, as supple almost as linen, cold as ice and harder than steel. It shone like moonlit silver and was studded with white gems. With it was a belt of pearl and crystal. <laughs> it is a pretty thing, isn't it? said Bilbo, moving it in the light. And useful. It is my dwarf mail that Thorin gave to me. I got it back from Mickledelving before I started and packed it with my luggage. I brought all the mementos of my journey away with me, except the ring. But I did not expect to use this, and I don't need it now except to look at sometimes. You hardly feel any weight when you put it on. I should look... Well, I don't think I should look right in it, said Frodo. Just what I said myself, said Bilbo. But never mind about look. You can wear it under your outer clothes. Come on, you must share this secret with me. Don't tell anybody else. But I, I should feel happier if I knew that you were wearing it. I've got a fancy it would turn even the knives of the Black Riders, he ended in a low voice. Very well, I will take it, said Frodo. Bilbo put it on him and fastened Sting upon the glittering belt, and then Frodo put over the top his old weather-stained breeches, tunic, and jacket. Oh, just a plain old hobbit you look, said Bilbo. But there is more about you now than appears on the surface. Good luck to you. He turned away and looked out of the window, trying to hum a tune. I cannot thank you as I should, Bilbo. For this and for all your past kindnesses, said Frodo. Don't try, said the old hobbit, turning around and slapping him on the back. Oh, ah, he cried. You're too hard now to slap, but there you are. Hobbits must stick together, and especially Bagginses. All I ask in return is you take as much care of yourself as you can, and bring back all the news that you can. And any old songs and tales you can come by? I'll do my best to finish my book before you return. I should like to write the second book, if I'm spared. He broke off and turned to the window again, singing softly. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen, Of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been, of oh, yellow leaves and gossamer in autumns that there were, With morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be When winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. For still there are so many things that I have never seen, in every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. I sit beside the fire and think of people long ago, of people who will see a world that I shall never know. But all the while I sit and think of times there were before, I listen for returning feet and voices at the door. It was a cold, grey day near the end of December. The east wind was streaming through the bare branches of the trees and seething in the dark pines in the hills. Ragged clouds were hurrying overhead, dark and low, as the cheerless shadows of the early evening began to fall, 
the company made ready to set out. They were to start at dusk, for Elrond counseled them to journey under cover of night as often as they could, until they were far from Rivendell. "'You should fear the many eyes of the servants of Sauron,' he said. "'I do not doubt that news of the discomfiture of the riders has already reached him, and he will be filled with wrath.' Soon now his spies on foot and wing will be abroad in the northern lands, even the sky above you. You must be aware as you go on your way. The company took little gear of war, for their hope was in secrecy, not in battle. Aragorn had Andril, but no other weapon, and he went forth clad only in rusty green and brown as a ranger of the wilderness. Boromir had a long sword in fashion, like Andril, but of less lineage, and he bore also a shield and his war horn. Loud and clear in the valleys of the hills, he said. Then let all the foes of Gondor flee. Putting it to his lips, he blew a blast, and echoes leapt from rock to rock, and all that heard that voice in Rivendell sprang to their feet. Slow should you be to wind that horn again, Boromir, said Elrond, until you stand once more on the borders of your land and dire need is upon you. Maybe, said Boromir, but always I've let my horn cry at setting forth, and though thereafter we may walk in the shadows, I will not go forth as a thief in the night. Gimli, the dwarf alone, wore openly a short shirt of steel rings, for dwarves made light of burdens, and in his belt was a broad-bladed axe. Legolas had a bow and a quiver, and at his belt a long white knife. The younger hobbits wore the swords that they had taken from the barrow, but Frodo took only Sting, and his mail coat, as Bilbo wished, remained hidden. Gandalf bore his staff, but girt at his side was the elven sword Glamdring, the mate of Orchrist, which lay now upon the breast of Thorin under the lonely mountain. All were well furnished by Elrond, with thick warm clothes, and they had jackets and cloaks lined with fur. Spare food and clothes and blankets and other needs were laden on a pony. None other than the poor beast that they had brought from Bree. The stay in Rivendell had worked a great wonder of change on him. He was glossy and seemed to have the vigor of youth. It was Sam who had insisted on choosing him, declaring that Bill, as he called him, would pine if he did not come. That animal can nearly talk, said he. "'And he would talk if he stayed here much longer. "'He gave me a look as plain as Mr. Pippin, if you speak it. "'If you don't let me go with you, Sam, I'll follow on my own.' "'So Bill was going as the beast of burden. "'Yet he was the only member of the company that did not seem depressed. "'Their farewells had been said in the great hall by the fire, "'and they were only waiting now for Gandalf, "'who had not yet come out of the house.' "'A gleam of firelight came from the open doors, "'and soft lights were glowing in many windows.' Bilbo, huddled in a cloak, stood silent at the doorstep beside Frodo. Aragorn sat with his head bowed to his knees. Only Elrond knew fully what this hour meant to him. The others would be seen as grey shapes in the darkness. Sam was standing by the pony, sucking his teeth and staring moodily into the gloom where the river roared stonily below. His desire for adventure was at its lowest ebb. "'Bill, my lad,' he said, you ought to have took up with us. You should have stayed here, and at the best hay till your new grass comes. Bill swished his tail and said nothing. 
Sam eased the pack on his shoulders and went over anxiously in his mind all the things that he had stowed in it, wondering if he had forgotten anything. His chief treasure, his cooking gear, and the little box of salt that he always carried and refilled when he could, a good supply of pipeweed, but not near enough, I'll warrant, flint and tinder, woolen hose, linen, various small belongings of his masters that Frodo had forgotten and Sam had stowed to bring out in triumph when they were called for. He went through them all. "'Ah, rope!' he muttered. "'No rope. "'Only last night you said to yourself, "'Sam, what about a bit of rope? "'You'll want it if you haven't got it. "'Well, now I want it and I can't get it.' "'At that moment Elrond came out with Gandalf, "'and he called the company to him. "'This is my last word,' he said in a low voice. "'The ring-bearer is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom. "'On him alone is laid any charge, "'neither to cast away the ring nor to deliver it to the servants of the enemy, "'nor indeed to let any handle it save members of the company and the council, "'and only then in gravest need. "'The others go forth with him as free companions to help him on his way. "'You may tarry or come back or turn aside into other paths as chance allows.' The further you go, the less easy it will be to withdraw, yet no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will. For you do not yet know the strength of your hearts, and you cannot foresee what each may meet upon the road. Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens, said Gimli. Maybe, said Elrond. But let him not vow to walk in the dark who has not seen the nightfall. Yet sworn word may strengthen quaking heart, said Gimli. Or break it, said Elrond. Look not too far ahead, but go now with good hearts. Farewell, and may the blessings of elves and men and all free folk go with you. May the stars shine upon your faces. Good, good luck cried Bilbo, stuttering with cold. I don't suppose you will be able to keep a diary, Frodo, my lad, but I shall expect a full account when you get back. And don't be too long. Farewell! Many others of Elrond's household stood in the shadows and watched them go, bidding them farewell with soft voices. There was no laughter and no song or music. At last they turned away and faded silently into the dusk. They crossed the bridge and wound slowly up the long, steep paths that led out of the cloven vale of Rivendell, and then came at length to the high moor where the wind hissed through the heather. Then with one glance at the last homely house twinkling below them, they strode away far into the night. At the fort of Bruinen, they left the path and, turning southwards, went on by narrow paths among the folded lands. Their purpose was to hold this course west of the mountains for many miles and days. The country was of much rougher and more barren nature than the green vale of the great river in Wilderland on the other side of the range, and their going would be slow. But they hoped in this way to escape the notice of unfriendly eyes. The spies of Sauron had hitherto seldom been seen in this empty country, and the paths were little known except to the people of Rivendell. Gandalf walked in front, and with him Aragorn, who knew this land even in the dark. The others were in file behind, and Legolas, whose eyes were keen, was in the rearguard. The first part of their journey was hard and dreary, and Frodo remembered little of it save the wind. 
For many sunless days, an icy blast came from the mountains in the east, and no garment seemed able to keep out its searching fingers. Though the company was well clad, they seldom felt warm, either moving or at rest. They slept uneasily during the middle of the day, in some hollow of the land or hidden under the tangled thorn bushes that grew in thickets in many places. In the late afternoon, they were roused by the watch and took their chief meal, cold and cheerless as a rule, for they could seldom risk the lighting of a fire. In the evening, they went on again, always as nearly southward as they could find a way. At first it seemed to the hobbits that although they walked and stumbled until they were weary, they were creeping forward like snails and getting nowhere. Each day the land looked much the same as it had the day before, yet steadily the mountains were drawing nearer. South of Rivendell they rose ever higher and bent westward, At about the feet of the main range, there tumbled an ever-wider land of bleak hills and deep valleys filled with turbulent waters. Paths were few and winding, and led them often only to the edge of some sheer fall or down into some treacherous swamps. They had been a fortnight on the way when the weather changed. The wind suddenly fell and then veered round to the south. The swift-flowing clouds lifted and melted away, and the sun came out, pale and bright, There came a cold, clear dawn at the end of a long, stumbling night march. The travelers reached a low ridge crowned with ancient holly trees, whose gray-green trunks seemed to have been built out of the very stone of the hills. Their dark leaves shone, and their berries glowed red in the light of the rising sun. Away in the south, Frodo could see the dim shapes of lofty mountains that seemed now to stand across the path that the company was taking. At the left of this high range rose three peaks. The tallest and nearest stood up like a tooth, tipped with snow. Its great, bare northern precipice was still largely in shadow, but where the sunlight slanted upon it, it glowed red. Gandalf stood at Frodo's side and looked out under his hand. "'We have done well,' he said. "'We have reached the borders of the country that men call Holin. Many elves lived here in happier days.' when Erigion was its name. Five and forty leagues, as the crow flies, we have come, though many long miles further our feet have walked. The land and the weather will be milder now, but perhaps all the more dangerous. Dangerous or not, a real sunrise is mighty welcome, said Frodo, throwing back his hood and letting the morning light fall upon his face. But the mountains are ahead of us. We must have turned eastward in the night. No, said Gandalf, but you see further ahead in the clear light. Beyond those peaks the range bends round southwest. There are many maps in Elrond's house, but I suppose you never thought to look at them. Yes, I did. Sometimes, said Pippin, but I don't remember them. Frodo's got a better head for that sort of thing. I need no map said Gimli, who had come up with Legolas and was gazing out before him with a strange light in his deep eyes. There is a land where our fathers worked of old. We have wrought the image of those mountains and the many works of stone and metal, and into many songs and tales. They stand tall in our dreams. Baraz, Zirak, Shatur. Only once before have I seen them from afar in waking life, but I know them and their names, for under them lies Khazad-dûm, the Dwarad Elf, that is now called the Black Pit, Moria, in the elvish tongue. Yonder stands Barazimbar, the Redhorn, 
cruel Caradras, and beyond them are Silver Teen and Cloudy Head, Celebdale the White, and Fanwing Hall the Grey, that we call Zirxigil and Buntuswather. There the misty mountains divide, and between their arms lies the deep shadowed valley which we cannot forget. And Zanubizar, the dim riddled dale which the elves call Nanthuhirium. It is for the dim riddled dale that we are making, said Gandalf. If we climb the pass that is called the Redhorn Gate under the far side of the Caradras, we should come down by the dim riddled stair into the deep vale of the dwarves. There lies the mirror mare, and there the river Silverload rises in its icy springs. Dark is the water of Kelitzaram, said Gimli, and cold are the springs of Kibildala. My heart trembles at the thought that I might see them soon. May you have the joy of the sight, my dear dwarf, said Gandalf, but whatever you may do, we at least cannot stay in that valley. We must go down the silver road, into the secret woods, and so to the great river, and then... He paused. Yes, and where then? asked Mary. To the end of the journey, in the end, said Gandalf. We cannot look too far ahead. Let us be glad that the first stage is safely over. I think we will rest here. Not only today, but tonight as well. There is a wholesome air about Holin. Much evil must befall a country before it wholly forgets the elves, if once they dwelt there. That is true, said Legolas. But the elves of this land were of a race strange to us, of the sylvan folk. And the trees and the grass do not now remember them. Only I hear the stones lament them. Deep they delved us, fair they wrought us, high they builded us, but they are gone. They are gone. They sought the havens long ago. That morning they lit a fire in a deep hollow shrouded by the great bushes of holly, and their supper breakfast was merrier than it had been since they had set out. They did not hurry to bed afterward, for they expected to have all the night to sleep in, and they did not mean to go on until the evening of the next day. Only Aragorn was silent and restless. After a while he left the company and wandered on to the ridge. There he stood in the shadow of a tree, looking out southwards and westwards, with his head posed as if he were listening. Then he returned to the brink of the dell and looked down at the others laughing and talking. "'What's the matter, Strider?' Mary called up. "'What are you looking for? Do you miss the east wind?' No, indeed, he answered, but I miss something. I've been in the country of Holin in many seasons. No folk dwell here now, but many other creatures live here at all times, especially birds. And yet, now, all things but you are silent. I can feel it. There's no sound about us for miles, and your voices seem to make the ground echo. I do not understand it. Gandalf looked up with sudden interest. But what do you guess is the reason? he asked. Is there more in it than surprise at seeing four hobbits? Not to mention the rest of us, where people are so seldom seen or heard. I hope it is that, answered Aragorn. But I have a sense of watchfulness and of fear. 
Never had it here before. Then we must be more careful, said Gandalf. If you bring a ranger with you, it is well to pay attention to him, especially if the ranger is Aragorn. We must stop talking aloud, rest quietly, and set the watch. It was Sam's turn that day to take the first watch, but Aragorn joined him. The others fell asleep. Then the silence grew until even Sam felt it. The breathing of the sleepers could plainly be heard. The swish of the pony's tail and the occasional movements of his feet became loud noises. Sam could hear his own joints creaking if he stirred. Dead silence was all around him, and over all hung a clear blue sky as the sun rode up from the east. Away in the south, a dark patch appeared and grew and drove north like a flying smoke in the wind. "'What's that, Strider? It don't look like a cloud,' said Sam in a whisper to Aragorn. He made no answer. He was gazing intently at the sky, but before long Sam could see for himself what was approaching. Flocks of birds, flying at great speed, were wheeling and circling and traversing all the land as if they were searching for something, and they were steadily drawing nearer. "'Lie flat and still,' hissed Aragorn, pulling Sam down into the shade of a holly bush, for a whole regiment of birds had broken away suddenly from the main host, and came, flying low, straight toward the ridge." Sam thought they were a kind of crow of large size, as they passed overhead in so dense a throng that their shadow followed them darkly over the ground below. One harsh croak was heard. Not until they had dwindled into the distance, north and west, and the sky was clear again, would Aragorn rise. Then he sprang up and went and wakened Gandalf. Regiments of black crows are flying all over the land between the mountains and the Grey Flood, he said, and they've passed over Holin. They are not natives here. They are Krabian, out of Fangorn and Dunland. I do not know what they are about. Possibly there is some trouble away south that they are fleeing, but I think they are spying out the land. I have also glimpsed many hawks flying high up in the sky. I think we ought to move again this evening. Holland is no longer wholesome for us. It is being watched. And in that case, so is the Redhorn Gate, said Gandalf. And how can we get over that without being seen, I cannot imagine. But we will think of that when we must. As for moving as soon as it is dark, I'm afraid you're right. Luckily our fire made a little smoke, and burned low before the Krebian came, said Aragorn. It must be put out and not lit again. Isn't a plague and a nuisance? said Pippin. The news no fire and a move again by the night, had been broken to him, as soon as he had woken in the late afternoon. Oh, that's because of a pack of crows. I had looked forward to real good meals tonight. Something hot. Oh, you can go on looking forward, said Gandalf. There may be many unexpected feasts ahead for you. For myself, I shall like a pipe to smoke in comfort and warmer feet. However, we are certain of one thing at any rate. It will get warmer as we get south. Too warm, I shouldn't wonder, muttered Sam to Frodo. But I'm beginning to think it's time that we got a sight of that fiery mountain and saw the end of the road, so to speak. I thought at first that this here Redhorn, or whatever its name is, might be the one, till Gimli spoke his piece. A fair jawcracker, dwarf language must be. Maps conveyed nothing to Sam's mind, and all the distances in these strange lands seemed so vast he was quite out of his reckoning. All that day the company remained in hiding, 
The dark birds passed over now and again, but as the westering sun grew red, they disappeared southward. At dusk, the company set out, and turning now half east, they steered their course toward Caratras, which, far away, still glowed faintly red in the last light of the vanishing sun. One by one, white stars sprang forth as the sky faded. Guided by Aragorn, they struck a good path. It looked to Frodo like the remains of an ancient road that had once passed broad and well-planned from Holland to the mountain pass. The moon, now at the full, rose out over the mountains and cast a pale light in which the shadows of stones were black. Many of them looked as if they had been worked by hands, though now they lay tumbled and ruinous in a bleak, barren land. It was the cold, chill hour before the first stir of dawn, and the moon was low. Frodo looked up at the sky. Suddenly he saw, or felt, a shadow pass over the high stars, as if for a moment they faded and then flashed out again. He shivered. "'Did you see anything pass over?' he whispered to Gandalf, who was just ahead. "'No, but I felt it, whatever it was,' he answered. "'It may be nothing, only a wisp of thin cloud.' It was moving fast then, muttered Aragorn, and not with the wind. Nothing further happened that night. The next morning dawned even brighter than before. But the air was chill again. Already the wind had turned back toward the east. For two more nights they marched on, climbing steadily but ever more slowly as their road wound up into the hills, and the mountains towered up nearer and nearer. On the third morning, Caradras rose before them, a mighty peak, tipped with snow like silver but with sheer naked sides, dull red as if stained with blood. There was a black look in the sky, and the sun was wan. The wind had gone now round to the northeast. Gandalf snuffed the air and looked back. "'Winter deepens behind us,' he said quietly to Aragorn. "'The heights away north are whiter than they were.' "'Snow is lying far down their shoulders. "'Tonight we shall be on our way high up toward the Redhorn Gate. "'We may well be seen by watchers on that narrow path "'and waylaid by some evil. "'But the weather may prove a more deadly enemy than any. "'What do you think of your course now, Aragorn?' "'Frodo overheard these words "'and understood that Gandalf and Aragorn "'were continuing some debate that had begun long before. "'He listened anxiously.' "'I think no good of our course from beginning to end, as you well know, Gandalf,' answered Aragorn, "'and perils known and unknown will grow as we go on. "'But we must go on, and it is no use our delaying the passage of the mountains. "'Further south there are no passes till one comes to the Gap of Rohan. "'I do not trust that way, since your news of Saruman. "'Who knows which side now the marshals of the Horse Lords serve?' "'Who knows, indeed?' said Gandalf. "'But there is another way, and not by the pass of Caradras, "'the dark and secret way that we have spoken of.' "'But let us not speak of it again. "'Not yet. "'Say nothing to the others, I beg, "'not until it's plain that there is no other way.' "'Must decide before we go further,' answered Gandalf. "'Then let us weigh the matter in our minds.' "'while the others rest and sleep,' said Aragorn. 
By the late afternoon, while the others were finishing their breakfast, Gandalf and Aragorn went aside together and stood looking at Caradras. Its sides were now dark and sullen, and its head was in gray cloud. Frodo watched them, wondering which way the debate would go. When they returned to the company, Gandalf spoke, and then he knew that it had been decided to face the weather and the high pass. He was relieved. He could not guess what was the other dark and secret way, but the very mention of it had seemed to fill Aragorn with dismay, and Frodo was glad it had been abandoned. "'From signs that we have seen lately,' said Gandalf, "'I fear that the Redhorn Gate may be watched, and also I have got my doubts of the weather that is coming up behind. Snow may come. We must go with all the speed that we can. Even so, it will take us more than two marches before we reach the top of the pass.' Dark will come early this evening. You must leave as soon as you can get ready. I will add a word of advice, if I may, said Boromir. I was bored under the shadow of the White Mountain. I know something of journeys in these high places. We shall meet bitter cold, if no worse, before we come down the other side. It will not help us to keep so secret that we're frozen to death. When we leave here, where there are still a few good trees and bushes, each of us should carry a bundle of wood as large as he can bear. "'And Bill could take a bit more, couldn't you, lad?' said Sam. The pony looked at him mournfully. "'Very well,' said Gandalf. "'But we must not use the word, not unless it is a choice between fire and death.' The company set out again, with good speed at first, but soon their way became steep and difficult. The twisting and climbing road had in many places almost disappeared and was blocked under many fallen stones. Night grew deadly dark under great clouds. A bitter wind swirled among the rocks. By midnight they had climbed to the knees of the great mountains. The narrow path now wound under a sheer wall of cliffs to the left, above which the grim flanks of Caradras towered up, invisible in the gloom. On the right was a deep gulf of darkness where the land fell suddenly off into a ravine. Laboriously, they climbed a sharp slope and halted for a moment at the top. Frodo felt a soft touch in his face. He put out his arm and saw the dim white flakes of snow settling on his sleeve. They went on, but before long the snow was falling fast, filling up all the air and swirling into Frodo's eyes. The dark bent shapes of Gandalf and Aragorn, only a pace or two ahead, could hardly be seen. "'I don't like this at all,' panted Sam just behind. Snow's all right on a fine morning, but I like to be in bed when it's fallen. I wish this lot would go off to Oberton. Folk might welcome it there. Except on the high moors of the North Farthing, a heavy fall was rare in the Shire, and was regarded as a pleasant event for a chance of fun. No living hobbit, save Bilbo, could remember the fell winter of 1311, when white wolves invaded the Shire over the frozen brandywine. Gandalf halted. Snow was thick on his hood and shoulders. It was already ankle-deep about his boots. "'This is what I had feared,' he said. "'What do you say now, Aragorn?' "'That I feared it, too,' Aragorn answered. "'But less than other things. "'I knew the risk of snow, though it seldom falls heavily so far south, "'save high up in the mountains. "'But we are not so high yet. "'We are still far down where the paths are usually open all winter.' "'I do wonder if this is a contrivance of the enemy,' said Boromir. "'They say in my land that he can govern the storms "'and the mountains of shadow that stand upon the borders of Mordor. 
He's got strange powers and many allies. His arm has grown long indeed, said Gimli. If he can draw snow down from the north to travel us here three hundred leagues away. His arm has grown long, said Gandalf. While they were halted, the wind died down, and the snow slackened until it had almost ceased. They tramped on again, but they had not gone more than a furlong when the snow returned with a fresh fury. The wind whistled, and the snow became a blinding blizzard. Soon, even Boromir found it hard to keep going. The hobbits, bent nearly double, toiled along behind the taller folk, but it was plain that they could not go on much further if the snow continued. Frodo's feet felt like lead. Pippin was dragging behind. Even Gimli, as stout as any dwarf could be, was grumbling as he trudged. The company halted suddenly, as if they had come to an agreement without any words being spoken. They heard eerie noises in the darkness around them. It may have been only a trick of the wind in the cracks and gullies of the rocky wall, but the noises were those of shrill cries and wild howls of laughter. Stones began to fall from the mountainside, whistling over their heads or crashing onto the path beside them. Every now and then they heard a dull rumble as a great boulder rolled down from hidden heights above. "'We cannot go further tonight,' said Boromir. "'Let those call it winds who will. There are fell voices on the air.' And those stones are aimed at us. I do call it the wind, said Aragorn, but that does not make what you say untrue. There are many evil and unfriendly things in the world that have got little love for those that go on two legs, and yet are not in league with Sauron, but have purposes of their own. Some have been in this world longer than he. Caradhras was called the Cruel, and had an ill name, said Gimli. Long years ago, when the rumour of Sauron had not yet been heard in these lands. It matters little who is the enemy if we cannot beat off his attack, said Gandalf. But what can we do? cried Pippin miserably. He was leaning on Merry and Frodo, and he was shivering. Either stop where we are, or go back, said Gandalf. It is no good going on. Only a little higher, if I remember rightly, this path leaves the cliff and runs into a wide, shallow trough at the bottom of a long, hard slope. We should have no shelter there from snow or stones or anything else. And it is no good going back while the winter storm holds, said Aragorn. We've passed no place on the way that offered more shelter than this cliff wall that we're under now. Shelter? muttered Sam. And if this is shelter, then... One wall and no roof make a house. The company now gathered together as close to the cliff as they could. It faced southward, and near the bottom it leaned out a little, so that they hoped it would give them some protection from the northerly wind and from falling stones. But eddying blasts swirled around them from every side, and the snow flowed down in ever denser clouds. They huddled together with their backs to the wall, Bill the Pony stood patiently but dejectedly in front of the hobbits and screened them a little, but before long the drifting snow was above his hocks and it went on in mounting. If they had had no larger companions, the hobbits would soon have been entirely buried. A great sleepiness came over Frodo. He felt himself sinking fast into a warm and hazy dream. He thought of a fire heating his toes, and out of the shadows on the other side of the hearth he heard Bilbo's voice speaking. "'I don't think much of your diary,' he said. 
Snowstorms on January the 12th. There was no need to come back to report that. But I wanted rest and sleep, Bilbo, Frodo answered with an effort. When he felt himself shaken, he was back painfully awake. Boromir had lifted him off the ground out of a nest of snow. This will be the death of the halflings, Gandalf, said Boromir. It's useless to sit here forever until the snow goes over our heads. We must do something to save ourselves. Give them this, said Gandalf, searching in his pack and drawing out a leather flask. Just a mouthful each, for all of us. It is very precious. It is Smirruvor, the cordial of Imlandris. Elrond gave it to me at our parting. Pass it around. As soon as Frodo had swallowed a little of the warm and fragrant liquor, he felt a new strength in his heart, and the heavy drowsiness left his limbs. The others also revived and found fresh hope and vigor, but the snow did not relent. It whirled about them thicker than ever, and the wind blew louder. "'What do you say to fire?' asked Boromir suddenly. "'The choice seems clear now between fire and death, Gandalf. "'Doubtless.' We shall be hidden from all unfriendly eyes when the snow has covered us, but that will not help us. You may make a fire, if you can, answered Gandalf. If there are any watchers that can endure this storm, they can see us, fire or no. But though they had brought wood and kindling by the advice of Boromir, it passed the skill of elf or even dwarf to strike a flame that would hold amid the swirling wind or catch the wet fuel. At last, reluctantly, Gandalf himself took a hand. Picking up a bundle of sticks, he held it aloft for a moment, and then, with a word of command, Naur an Idraith Amen! He thrust the end of his staff into the midst of it. At once, a great spout of green and blue flame sprang out, and the wood flared and sputtered. If there are any to see, then I at least am revealed to them, he said. I have written, Gandalf is here in signs that all can read from Rivendell to the mouths of Anduin. But the company no longer cared for watchers or unfriendly eyes. Their hearts were rejoiced to see the light of the fire. The wood burned merrily, and though all around the snow hissed, the pools of slush crept under their feet, they warmed their hands gladly at the blaze. There they stood, stooping in a circle around the little dancing and blowing flames. A red light was on their tired and anxious faces. Behind them the night was all like a black wall. But the wood was burning fast, and the snow still fell. The fire burned low, and the last bundle was thrown on. The night is getting cold, said Aragorn. The dawn is not far off. If any dawn can pierce these clouds, said Gimli, Boromir stepped out of the circle and stared up into the blackness. The snow is growing less, he said, and the wind is quieter. Frodo gazed wearily at the flakes still falling out of the dark to be revealed white for a moment in the light of the dying fire, but for a long time he could see no sign of their slackening. Then suddenly, as sleep was beginning to creep over him again, he was aware that the wind had indeed fallen, and the flakes were now becoming larger and fewer. Very slowly a dim light began to grow. At last, the snow stopped altogether. As the light grew stronger, it showed a silent, shrouded world. 
Below their refuge were white humps and domes and shapeless deeps beneath which the path they had trodden was altogether lost, but the heights above were hidden in gray clouds still heavy with the threat of snow. Gimli looked up and shook his head. Caradras has not forgiven us, he said. He has got more snow yet to fling at us if we go on. The sooner we go back and down, the better. To this all agreed, but the retreat was now difficult. It might well prove impossible. Only a few paces from the ashes of their fire, the snow lay many feet deep, higher than the heads of the hobbits. In places, it had been scooped and piled by the wind into great drifts against the cliff. If Gandalf would go before us with a bright flame, he might melt a path for you, said Legolas. The storm had troubled him little, and he alone of the company remained still light of heart. If elves could fly over mountains, they might fetch the sun to save us, answered Gandalf. But I must have something to work on. I cannot burn snow. Well, said Boromir, when heads are at a loss, bodies must serve, as we say in my country. The strongest of us must seek a way. See, though all is now snow-clad, our path, as we came up, turned out around that shoulder of the rock down yonder. It was there that the snow first began to burden us. If we could reach that point, maybe it would prove easier beyond. It's no more than a furlong off, I guess. Then let us force a path thither, you and I, said Aragorn. Aragorn was the tallest of the company, but Boromir, little less in height, was broader and heavier in build. He led the way, and Aragorn followed him. Slowly they moved off and were soon toiling heavily. In places the snow was breast high, and often Boromir seemed to be swimming or burrowing with his great arms rather than walking. Legolas watched them for a while with a smile upon his lips, and then he turned to the others. The strongest must seek a way, say you. But I say, let a ploughman plough, but choose an otter for swimming and for running light over grass and leaf, or over snow, an elf. With that he sprang forth nimbly, and then Frodo noticed that, if for the first time, though he had long known it, that the elf had no boots, but only wore light shoes, as he always did, and his feet made little imprint in the snow. Farewell, he said to Gandalf. I shall go and find the sun. Then, swift as a runner over firm sand, he shot away, and quickly overtaking the toiling men with a wave of his hand, he passed them, and sped into the distance, and vanished round the rocky turn. The others waited huddled together, watching until Boromir and Aragorn dwindled into black specks in the whiteness. At length, they too passed from sight. The time dragged on. The clouds lowered, and now a few flakes of snow came curling down again. An hour, maybe, went by, though it seemed far longer, and then at last they saw Legolas coming back. At the same time, Boromir and Aragorn reappeared round the bend far behind him and came laboring up the slope. "'Well,' cried Legolas as he ran up, "'I have not brought the sun. She is walking in the blue fields of the south, and a little wreath of snow on the red-horn hillock troubles her not at all. But I have brought back a gleam of good hope for those who are doomed to go on foot.' There is the greatest wind-drift of all just beyond the turn, and there our strong men were almost buried. They despaired until I returned and told them that the drift was little wider than a wall, and on the other side the snow suddenly grows less, while further down it's no more than a white coverlet to cool a hobbit's toes. 
it is as I said, growled Gimli. It was no ordinary snow. It is the ill will of Caradras. He does not love elves and dwarves, and that drift was laid to cut off our escape. But happily, your Caradras has forgotten that you've got men with you, said Boromir, who came up at that moment. And doughty men too, if I may say so. Though lesser men with spades might have served you better. Still, we've thrust a lane through the drift, and for that, all here may be grateful who cannot run as light as elves. But how are we to get down there, even if you have cut through the drift? said Pippin, voicing the thought of all the hobbits. Have hope, said Boromir. I'm weary, but I still have some strength left, and had a gone too. We will bear the little folk, and others no doubt will make shift to tread the path behind us. Come, Master Peregrine, I will begin with you. He lifted out the hobbit, cling to my back. I shall need my arms, he said, and strode forward. Aragorn and Merry came behind. Pippin marveled at his strength, seeing the passage that he had evidently forced with no other tool than his great limbs. Even now, burdened as he was, he was widening the track for those who followed, thrusting the snow aside as he went. They came at length to the great drift. It was flung across the mountain path like a sheer and sudden wall, and its crest, sharp as if shaped with knives, reared up more than twice the height of Boromir. But through the middle, a passage had been beaten, rising and falling like a bridge. On the other side, Merry and Pippin were set down, and there they waited with Legolas for the rest of the company to arrive. After a while, Boromir returned carrying Sam. Behind, in the narrow but now well-trodden track, came Gandalf, leading Bill with Gimli perched among the baggage. Last came Aragorn, carrying Frodo. They passed through the lane, but hardly had Frodo touched the ground when a deep rumble and a fall of stones came slithering down with snow. The spray of it half-blinded the company as they crouched against the cliff, and when the air cleared, they saw that the path was blocked behind them. Enough! Enough! cried Gimli. We'll depart as quickly as we may! And indeed, with that last stroke, the malice of the mountain seemed to be expended. As if Caradras was satisfied that the invaders had been beaten off and would not dare to return. The threat of snow lifted, the clouds began to break, and the light grew broader. As Legolas had reported, they found that the snow became steadily more shallow as they went down, so that even the hobbits could trudge along. Soon they all stood once more on the flat shelf at the head of the steep slope where they had felt the first flakes of snow the night before. The morning was now far advanced. From the high place they looked backward and westward at the lower lands, Far away, in the tumble of country that lay at the foot of the mountain, was the dell from which they had started to climb the pass. Frodo's legs ached. He was chilled to the bone and hungry, and his head was dizzy as he thought of the long and painful march downhill. Black specks swam before his eyes. He rubbed them, but the black specks remained. In the distance, below him, still high above the lower foothills, dark dots were circling in the air. The birds again said Aragorn, pointing down. "'That cannot be helped now,' said Gandalf. "'Whether they are good or evil or have got nothing to do with us at all, we must go down at once. Not even on the knees of Caradras will we wait for another nightfall.' A cold wind flowed down behind them, as they turned their backs on the Redhorn Gate and stumbled wearily down the slope. Caradras had defeated them.
There we have it, my good folks. It does seem like it went really quick, doesn't it? And uh, I even tried to kind of slow down a little bit. Um, now, as I said, this is this was to be a a pretty quick stream, all said and done. Y'all, thank you very much for being here with me. I love y'all, and I will see you all a bit later on. Go ahead and join the raid if you wish. Everyone, thank you so much for joining me this evening. It has been grand, and we will continue with our adventures in Middle-earth next week.